Welcome to one more edition of Politics than Rana McBerto. Will is your host. Thank you so kindly for being here with us. Today, we are going to prove that grassroots work, that being engaged work. We are honored today to, to be with the legal director and waterkeeper for Bayou City Waterkeepers, Kristen Schlemmer. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm great. How are you doing? I am doing great. Let me tell you, um, when I heard about your organization, you know, I'm here in Houston, too, and you guys cover entirely Harris County to make sure that we can actually touch the waters throughout our town, our city. And then I learned about all that you've done. So I want to say, first of all, thank you. And then secondly, for our program, I think you are going to show that civic engagement works. So why, first of all, don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm from Houston. I grew up in Kingwood and other parts of Houston, actually, but I thought I'd mention Kingwood since I- Yes, because that's where I'm from. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, graduated from Kingwood High School in 2000 and then left thinking that I may uh, never come back. I went to Austin, UT Austin for college, moved to New Orleans right after Katrina for law school. Um, and the experience of being in law school, um, seeing a city go through disaster recovery, um, and just maybe a persistent mother um, made me start thinking about coming back home. So in 2012, I moved back here, and um, I feel like I may never leave. I'm really, I'm really happy to be here in Houston and doing the work that I'm doing. Well, well, I, I think Houston is thankful as well. And by the way, I graduated from the University of Texas. My daughter graduated from the University of Texas. My daughter went to Kingwood High and graduated from Kingwood High. So, oh, wow, great. great symbiosis. Anyway, um, tell us a little bit about uh, this huge... Uh, well, first of all, how did you get into uh, understanding what the city of Houston was doing with its water situation, its sewage situation? Uh, so as an organization, Bayou City Waterkeeper requested a ton of public data. Um, and we knew that existed because the city of Houston for each of its 39 wastewater treatment plants has to have a permit from the Te Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. And a condition of those permits is that every time they have an overflow from their system and an overflow um, is kind of my shorthand for any time wastewater or sewage leaves the system before going through treatment. Um, anytime that happens, the city of Houston is supposed to report it to the, to the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality. So um, when we requested this public data, we got back um, a very, very long spreadsheet or series of spreadsheets that lists dates and locations and uh, volume in terms of gallons. And um, yeah, gave us a better sense of how many overflows were happening across the city of Houston over um, a several year a time period. Now in, in getting, and uh, why did you request the data? I mean, uh, just out of the blue or because they, did you have this Bayou City Waterkeeper organization just marshalling uh, throughout the state, the, 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 the county to do this? What was like the genesis of this? Yeah, so um, we knew just from research done by other entities um, that sanitary sewer overflows were a problem in the city of Houston. 
Um, this has been something that I think folks that are plugged into water issues just kind of know, um, partly because water quality data in our bayous and out in Galveston Bay periodically shows um, high rates of fecal pollution. And um, one source of that typically is overflows from wastewater treatment systems. Um, in addition to just kind of folks across the water and environmental um, legal community knowing that this is a problem in Houston, um, this is a problem actually across the United States um, in lots of other cities. Um, and the reason for that is that a lot of cities developed kind of on similar cycles to where uh, we all have our, you know, pipes and things that are under the ground are getting old and need to be replaced. Um, but not enough money is being dedicated to that. And so that creates problems like what we what we found in Houston. Now, before you ask them to pull the data, did you go ahead and do water tests throughout or bayous throughout or rivers, et cetera, that cross that crisscrosses the county? Our organization didn't, um, but other other entities across our region have. Um, one would be like the stream team housed under the HGAC and um, I think Bayou Preservation Association also has some stream team volunteers. Um, but really what's interesting about this kind of lawsuit is, you know, it, what this turned into was a lawsuit is that the city of Houston already is telling us we have released sewage when we weren't supposed to. So, um, and we did it a thousand, you know, thousands of times. Um, so it makes it to where you don't exactly have to go out and do that sampling to know it's a problem um, or, you know, to know how specifically it is a problem. Um, because just based on what's written on paper, you know that it's a really big problem. That is interesting. So you're saying that they, they weren't really trying to hide anything. They were telling you as they, re, they had these mishaps, they told you. Now, did they inform the public at the time that these mishaps occurs to ensure that if it's near, let's say, whatever bayou, people know not to get into their canoes and go into that bayou? In most cases, no. Um, the only times that the city of Houston has to notify the public is when the overflow is over a certain threshold. I think it's 100,000 gallons. Uh -huh. I mean, that may be not exactly right, um, but that's pretty big. And we see those, um, and I mean, the, when I say the public is notified, it's if you're on the right, um, subscribe to the right email list with the city of Houston, which I am, I will get like their little press release saying that, you know, after tropical storm Imelda, we had 250,000 gallons of um, untreated sewage that was released at, you know, University of Houston downtown, or for example. Um, but it's only really those really, really big overflows that are reported to the public. The rest just kind of goes in a document that is technically public data, but is difficult to access. Well, yeah, that is how you know they have a tendency to do that, right? Release it in a little little spot in a newspaper or something, and they fulfill their legal requirements. Nobody really sees it, and and it goes on from there. Except if we have watchdogs like Bayou City Waterkeeper who make sure to further tell the people that hey, this is what happened, and you need to do something about it. Tell us a little bit about the lawsuit proper now. In other words, how did you go about it, and how did you go about getting that big win? So the lawsuit was filed under the Clean Water Act, and a cool feature of the Clean Water Act and other federal environmental laws is there's something called a citizen suit provision. So that means that we don't have to wait around for a federal or state environmental agency to take enforcement action against polluters. 
Um, in a lot of cases, groups like ours, people you know working together um, or alone can you know work with a lawyer and get a lawsuit on file um, to go target pollution themselves. What you have to do though before you can um, file this lawsuit and stand in the shoes of an en environmental enforcer is serve what is called a notice of intent to sue. And that's where you, you know, send the letter to the polluter. In this case, it was the city of Houston, along with federal and state environmental regulators saying, hey, in 60 days, we plan to file a lawsuit against you. Here's the basis of that lawsuit. Um, and kind of the reason there's this procedural hurdle is because it alerts the federal and state environmental regulators to the problem, lets them know, um, hey, here's your chance to do something. And if you don't, we're going to move forward. So in this case, actually, the Environmental Protection Agency at the federal level and the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality at the state level did choose to file an enforcement action um, 59 days after we gave them our 60-day notice of intent to sue. Um, so that is uh, that enforcement action moved forward and we intervened in it. Uh, it's a legal term. We were called interveners um, and participated in that enforcement action. Um, and so that was back in 2018 when it was filed. And basically from 2018 until uh, the spring of 2021, there's been this uh, settlement called a consent decree that was negotiated. And um, we've been involved at different points, kind of most very much as an outside advocate, um, pushing for more transparency in the process, um, better community engagement, and um, most, and, and sorry, and through and also throughout this process, we've been very focused on environmental injustices in the sanitary sewer overflow problems, because those are all kind of categories of things that weren't being addressed by either the city of Houston or by the regulators who filed this environmental enforcement action. Now, the, the, they committed to $2 billion. Is that $2 billion in improvements? And if that is $2 billion in improvements, who tells or ensures that that $2 billion go to solve the problems that you sued them for in the first place? Yeah, so that is $2 billion in improvements. Um, the consent decree, that's the settlement, the, the document kind of embodying the settlement that was filed with the court and approved by the court, um, spells out certain things that the city of Houston has to do. Um, but it also, some of those things that the city of Houston has to do are a little bit fuzzy. They require further planning, further reporting. Um, so there's a few checks on that. One is, you know, the presence of the EPA and the TCEQ. Um, they have some interest in making sure that the city of Houston uh, meets the obligations that it's um, promised to meet. Um, the court also plays a role here. If there's anything that the city of Houston isn't doing, if it's behind schedule, um, both the EPA and the state of Texas, as well as us as interveners can go back to the court and ask them to order the city of Houston to get moving. And we can also ask um, the court to impose additional penalties on the city of Houston. Um, there's, there's specific penalties spelled out in this settlement document. Um, and then last, uh, I kind of already mentioned our role, but you know, we are another check on the city of Houston actually doing what it's supposed to do. Um, our greatest hope is that after spending $2 billion over the next 15 years, that we will see a discernible difference in the number of overflows reported. Um, hopefully that number is much closer to zero. 
And um, the cool thing about the settlement is now every month, instead of having to go request public information um, from uh, Austin, we are getting reports emailed to us um, listing out how many overflows there were and what, what the volume of those overflows are. And so that's something we're working on, uh, making sure that we're sharing with the public on a monthly basis. Um, that's just another, another check on, on the whole process. You're good because that was my other question. I was going to ask you, hey, uh, or have you seen new overflow data and has it gone down? Have it gone down or not? So uh, my next question is now that you're getting the uh, overflow data uh, voluntarily on a monthly basis, are you, have you seen any differences? Are they trying to be better? I haven't seen differences yet, though we've only gotten one month of data since the final settlement was only um, approved. I think it was in April. Um, so, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to rush to criticize the city just yet. I think once we get to the six-month mark, that's when we can start to see if there's a discernible difference. Um, rainstorms aren't the only reason that we have these overflows, but they can influence the number of overflows in a month. So I imagine damage equipment as well. Uh, if they have old equipment that's damaged, that could be an issue as well. Now, um, as you said, uh, you, you, you don't have enough data yet to, to make that assessment. Have you known or seen between that time that they've actually started doing any work to mitigate the problems that have originally caused those discharges? So the city of Houston says, um, even before the consent decree was signed, they said that they were already getting started on the projects that the consent decree was going to require of them. Um, that's something that I'm just taking them at their word. I, I, I don't know um, if, you know, to what extent they've been moving forward. But I mean, I think that they always are probably doing a little bit of work on their sanitary sewer system. Their budget reflects that they're going to be doing a lot more work. Um, so this is something that, you know, one of the things we're going to have to monitor over, you know, the coming months and coming years. Okay, you do some other work as well. You actually make sure that developers don't uh, develop in areas where it will, uh, it would make our water conditions worse, whether that be flooding or pollutions. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the primary way we do this work, um, though there's a few facets to it, um, is through what's called the Wetland Watch Program. And that's, um, you know, often where that begins is a community member gives us a call or sends us an email and says, hey, um, there's something going on next door um, or, you know, it's next door to my subdivision. Um, there is an area that I know floods a lot, really close to the bayou. And it now looks like they're gonna put a housing development there. What's going on? Um, and so we'll take a look at it. And often that's, um, you know, we start out with a desktop analysis. There's so many different mapping tools um, available uh, from federal and state agencies. And we'll see first, are there wetlands on that property? And the reason we look at that is um, the Clean Water Act. The Clean Water Act has a comprehensive regulatory program that um, requires developers to get permits in many circumstances when their wetlands will affect, uh, or sorry, when their developments will affect wetlands. Um, and one of the reasons we care about that is that, you know, wetlands are a major feature of the greater Houston area. And they're also uh, um, offer tons of protection from flooding. Um, every time we fill in a wetland, we lose flood protection. 
And what happens when we see these developments going in in the floodplains, you're not only putting people in an area that's known to be more flood prone, um, but you're covering up wetlands and um, kind of doubling the flood risk. Yeah, that is excellent. I mean, right here in Kingwood, there's some new development that went out that really created floods in areas that hadn't flooded before. So um, I imagine somebody should have contacted you guys. They've shut down that development thus far, but we know that they're going to likely mitigate it with some sort of canals or something to move water, that, which means it moves the problems down somewhere else. But, you know, they'll probably solve that problem. It's great to have you. Now, I mean, you, I, I, you use the word regulations a whole lot that folks has to have to follow. We are a very anti-regulation-like type state. And, uh, but we hate when the floods happen. We hate when the freezes happen. We hate all those things. You guys have said that, um, you know, the freeze only indicated a problems that, problems that you knew about long ago. So uh, what are these? Yeah, oh, so with the freeze in particular, um, you know, people were without water. My family was without water for a week. We had um, oil water notices after that, which is another form of not, you know, not having water, even when you kind of have it. Um, some people weren't that even that lucky. They were without water for more than a month or two months dealing with broken pipes. Um, that that whole process um, really, you know, I was just thinking about the city of Houston sanitary sewer problems uh, a lot that week, even as, as I was also trying to just stay warm and keep my family safe. Um, because it is, it's not just, a, you know, it's an issue of aging infrastructure, um, infrastructure that's not adequately prepared for weather, extreme weather. Um, but then also um, in the weeks that followed, it was a problem that clearly had a greater impact on low income communities and black and brown communities in Houston. Um, same thing with the city of Houston sanitary sewer infrastructure problems. Um, it's something that affects everyone, but some people um, are affected more and have a harder time recovering from it. It is amazing that you, you prove you prove, first of all, that uh, engagement works. You prove once again that uh, regula good regulations work. You prove that uh, if the grassroots get busy, you can actually get results. You can force results on. Um, this is a, a national program. I want you to tell our audience. Uh, I want you to inspire our audience. I want you to empower our audience to let them know that Anybody who sees a problem can somehow get involved. And if they can't do it on their own, they can find other organizations that have been successful in doing what they've done like yours and be a part of the solutions. Inspire us. Well, I am glad you asked that of me because as a lawyer, I'm always so focused on problems and I like to be put in the position um, of having to think about not just solutions, but what's the whole point of this? It's we, we do want, um, we want to live in a world where after a winter storm, Yuri, we're not left without water for a month at a time where none of our neighbors are. Um, we want to live in a city where we're not worried about fecal pollution in our bayous because of aging infrastructure. Um, we want to live in a place where we can continue to build um, homes for a growing population and not worry about those same homes flooding or causing flooding at their next door neighbor's 
you know, uh, subdivisions. And so I think when thinking about how to get involved in this, um, you know, across the United States, there's nonprofits like ours, um, there's like-minded people and you just have to find them. Um, I think it's so important not to try to tackle things on your own and to um, build coalitions, whatever that looks like. It could be um, engaging your neighbors to address a problem that um, is affecting your neighborhood in particular or finding people dealing with the same problems as you across um, your city or even across the United States. Um, the internet's great for that. Um, kind of organizing. But I, I mean, we're one organization, we work frequently with the Coalition for Environment Equity and Resilience here in Houston and the 27 organizations that are a part of that. Um, and that's, you know, where our organization has a staff of three, um, a very helpful and necessary crew of interns and fellows, but we're, we're tiny. And so being able to collaborate with other organizational partners with community members um, really allows us to have maximum impact. And so I guess I just shared that with you as an illustration of the, the power of people coming together and how necessary it is. A tiny organization with a tiny organization with a $2 billion win ain't so tiny. I think you just prove what the grassroots uh, can do. So uh, folks, be inspired. Uh, if Kristen Schlemmer and her organization can do it. We can all form a part of the solution. Now, I usually ask this last question, which is, what did I, uh, what, what question would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't ask you? So please, it's platforms yours. Gosh, um, I think maybe the only thing I would add um, is when thinking about, uh, because you touched on regulation, um, and I was talking about regulations, particularly in the context of um, wetlands and them getting filled and uh, that causing more flooding. Um, I think the flip side of that coin is that, you know, we across Harris County and across this region all agree that we want our area to be flood resilient. Um, and one way we've done that is we've agreed to pony up $2.5 billion of our own money collectively through the Harris County flood bond. And um, I think that's amazing, um, but it's also really frustrating when you see that as that money is spent to protect us from flooding, there's still developers out there um, putting us in harm's way. And so that's when I think maybe we can appreciate um, uh, the power of regulations is that they actually would, uh, if people are following them, um, and if they're you know, as strong as possible, maybe that we as individuals will save more money over the long term and keep ourselves safer over the long term. Kristen Schlemmer, Legal Director, Waterkeeper for Bayou City Waterkeeper. Thank you so kindly for being a part of Politics Done Right. You have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you so much. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.